You know, when you hear songs like that, it causes us to think what it will be like one day. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Jan. Thank you. Well, good morning. Welcome to you, those of you here with us in person and our church family online. Welcome to you. I hope that you indeed have had a wonderful week. Today we are on the third message and the last message in my series from the book of Haggai called Maybe It's Me. And we've been going through this book and in two previous messages we looked at how the Jewish people returned uh, to Jerusalem in order to start to rebuild the temple and to see what was happening there. So they rebuild, they started to rebuild, and uh, then they slowly started to stop, and, and the building all came to a halt, and, and they stopped and decided to focus on doing their own thing, building their own homes and beautifying their homes and forgetting and neglecting God's work. In part one, we talked about look at what's happening to you. We also said make a change. So when they saw what was happening, they changed their ways. And then in part two, we said, get to work. Continue to do the work that God has called you to do. Remember who's with you. God promises that he will always be with us, and he promised he would be with them. And then we also said, what's coming is better than what's gone. And so God told them that the glory of the temple will be better, will be greater, will be more glorious than it ever has been. And so we continue on in the book of Haggai chapter 2. So if you have your Bibles, would you turn Haggai chapter 2 and we'll start from verse 10 and we'll read to verse 19. And if you would please stand as we read God's word together. Haggai chapter 2 starting from verse 10 and this is what it says. On December 18th of the second year of King Darius's reign, the Lord sent his message to the prophet Haggai. This is what the Lord of Heaven's armies says. Ask the priest this question about the law. If one of you is carrying some meat from a holy sacrifice in his robe, and his robe happens to brush against some bread or stew, wine or olive oil, or any other kind of food, will it also become holy? The priest replied, no. Then Haggai asked, if someone becomes ceremonial unclean by touching a dead person and then touches any of these foods, will the food be defiled? And the priest answered, yes. Then Haggai responded, that is how it is with this people and this nation, says the Lord. Everything they do and everything they offered is defiled by their sin." Look at what was happening to you before you began to lay the foundation of the Lord's temple. When you hoped for a 20-bushel crop, you harvested only 10. When you expected to draw 50 gallons from the wine press, you found only 20. I sent blight and mildew and hail to destroy everything you worked so hard to produce. Even so, you refused to return to me, says the Lord. Think about this, 18th day of December the day when the foundation of the Lord's temple was laid. Think carefully. I am giving you a promise now. While the seed is still in the barn, 
you have not yet harvested your grain, and your grapevines, fig trees, pomegranates, and olive trees have not yet produced their crop, but from this day onward, I will bless you. Let us pray. Father, indeed, we thank you for your holy word. We thank you, God, for the truth that is contained in your scripture and for the many lessons that we can learn. And indeed, God, we pray that you would open up our mind and our heart to hear from you, that you would help us, Lord, to hear from your spirit, that your spirit would lead us and that you would help us to be obedient as we respond to you. And so, God, may you speak to us. May you challenge us, change us, and transform us into the people that you desire us to be. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you. Feel free to be seated. God gave another message to the prophet Haggai. He gave this message, and he said, ask the priest this. If something holy meat that has been um, offered for a holy sacrifice touches another kind of food, will it become holy? And the obvious answer was no. But then he asked them if they encounter a dead person's body or, or something to make them ceremonially unclean, if it will cause then whatever they touch to become unclean and defiled, and they answered yes. You see, the priests and the people knew the laws. They knew what was right, and they knew what was wrong. They knew the teachings that God had given them. And the priests taught the people the law. So they were well-versed, yet the people, and dare I say even maybe some of the priests, continued to live as they wanted to, despite the fact that they knew God's law. They knew what God had required of them, but yet they disregarded it in his eyes. You see, even though they knew the right thing to do, they knew what the Bible had taught them, they knew all the, the scriptures and the laws, they still went out and did their own thing. Just because someone knows what they should be doing doesn't mean that they actually do it. You know that, right? Just because we know that something is right and that we should be doing it, that does not automatically assume or mean that we will always do it. Because knowing and doing what is right are two different things. And that's the first truth for today. Knowing and doing what is right are two different things. God's people, the Jewish people who returned to rebuild the temple knew what God wanted and what he expected them to do. Yet they found themselves over and over again doing the complete opposite, doing what was wrong and, and what God did not want them to do. Let me ask you, do we always do the right thing? Do you always do the right thing? Even though you may know what that is, Ask yourself that question. Do we always do the right thing? Now, of course, we would want to answer yes. That, that's what we would want to say, when in reality, I think we know what the answer is. That we may not always do the right thing, even though we know what it is that we should do. The reality is just because we know that we should do something doesn't mean that we do it all the time. 
Many people know what's right, yet they do what's wrong. They, they know what's right, but they don't necessarily do it. For example, people know that smoking is bad for them, that they shouldn't smoke because it causes many health issues, yet they still do it. People know the, the dangers of being intoxicated, yet they still do it. People know the speed limit and that they shouldn't speed, yet they don't always follow it. Not you, of course, right? Other people. People know that you're not supposed to break off the bananas in the grocery store from the bunch, right? You're not supposed to, but, but people still do it. Not you, of course, other people that we see. People know that they shouldn't leave their shopping carts in the middle of the parking lot because the wind can carry it away and damage someone's car, and maybe your car has been damaged because of this. But they still do it, right? They know that they shouldn't. People know that they shouldn't live together before marriage, yet they still do it. You see, just because we know that we should do something shouldn't mean that we automatically assume we always do it. Yet God tells us in James chapter 4, verse 17, it is a sin to know what you ought to do and then not do it. It's a sin to know the good and the things that you're to do, but then you choose not to do it. You see, we, we can know all of the things. We can know the scripture. We can know God's law. We can know the Ten Commandments. We can know what God expects of us. But if we don't do anything with it, what good is it? If we aren't following God's commands and what he wants for us, then it doesn't matter how much we know because we're not putting it into action. We're not living out and doing what he expects of us to do. So why isn't it easy to always automatically do the right thing? Why, why isn't it that we just automatically always do the right thing? And it seems like we need to really make an extra effort to make sure that we do the right thing because it seems easier sometimes to do the wrong thing, right? It, it seems easier for us to do the thing that we know we shouldn't do. So why is that? In Romans chapter 7, the apostle Paul talks about God's law revealing our sin and the struggle that we face with sin. And this is what he says. Romans chapter 7, he says, I don't really understand myself, for I want to do what is right, but I don't do it. Instead, I do what I hate. But there is another power within me that is at war in my mind. This power makes me a slave to the sin that is still within me. Oh, what a miserable person I am. Who will free me from this life that is dominated by sin and death? Thank God the answer is Jesus Christ, our Lord. So you see it is. In my mind, I really want to obey God's law. But because of my sinful nature, I am a slave to sin. You see, we don't always do the right thing because we allow our sinful nature to take control. Understand that there is a struggle going on within us. The struggle that we face 
And many of you in our Wednesday Bible study know that we've been talking about that our struggle is not with flesh and blood, but it's in the spirit. And this is the struggle that he talks about. It's a spiritual struggle because the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. It's a spiritual struggle that goes on. And understand this, God knows the struggle that we face. He understands that there is temptation, that there is corruption, that there is addiction. He understands all of the things we go through, and that's why he says, I want to give you victory. That's why we can only find victory in Jesus Christ. That's why apart from Christ, we are not able to overcome that sinful nature. But when we allow God to come in to change and to transform us and to make us a new creation, he breaks us out of the bondage that we are entrapped by sin and he sets us free. So that sin no longer needs to be our master, but we are free. And that means that we can choose to sin less. That, that doesn't mean that we will never sin again, but it means that we sin less. It means that we are no longer bound and in the chains that entrapped us with sin, and it is no longer our master. It is only through Christ that we can be set free. We cannot do it on our own. We cannot. We need the help, the strength, and the power that only comes from Christ. We need to continue to ask God to help us day by day because it is a struggle. Day by day, we need to ask God to help us to do the right thing, to not just know it, but to do it, to live out in such a way where our, our mind, what we know is right and our actions align. And so we live in such a way that is pleasing to God where we ask for his help because we cannot do it on our own. May we continue to strive to do what is right in God's eyes. Not just know what is right, but to live it and to do it. Amen? God had told the people what they needed to do. He had told them through the first message that he gave to Haggai. And now they were doing it. And even though they were doing what was required of them, it's interesting that their attitude and their condition of their heart wasn't necessarily in the right place. They were doing it just because they know it needed to be done. Think about that. Is it possible that we do things maybe with the wrong attitude or mindset just because we need to do it? but not necessarily because we're happy to do it, because we want to do it, because we, we are happy to serve. Even though they were doing the, quote, right thing, their attitudes were in the wrong place, making everything they had to offer God defiled. Defilement is the state of being impure, dishonored, or desecrated. To defile something is an act of great disrespect towards God and towards the things of God. In verse 14, this is what it says. Everything they do, this is the people, he's God's people. Everything they do and everything they offered is defiled by their sin. Think about that. 
God is saying that everything they do and everything they offer is defiled because of their sin. Making it not matter what they're offering, making it not matter how hard they're working, but it's defiled. It's no good. It's not acceptable in his sight. You see, it's important for us to remember that we may not be blessed because what we're offering God could be defiled. We may not be blessed. This is the second point. Because what we're offering God could be defiled. I remember when I was in high school and projects came, sometimes I would want to try to work ahead to get them done, you know, so that they're out of the way. Anyone else like that? You like to work ahead, get things done, you know, do your best with them. So I remember I started this project, I I worked very hard on it, and I even submitted it early, all right? So I got it in early, out of the way, and I was really proud of myself. Because I put a lot of effort, a lot of time, a lot of research into this project, and I was expecting, Miss Debbie, I was expecting to get probably the highest grade in the class on that, right? Not to boast, but it was pretty good, right? So, so like, I was really proud of myself. So, the time came when the, the teacher was ready to hand it back to the class. And, you know, of course, everyone kind of looks over at people's marks and, and sees what everyone else got, right? And, and so I'm sitting there just ready to receive my highest grade and recognition for it. And the teacher comes by, and, and this is no joke, the teacher comes by, and she puts the paper down on the desk, but she turns it upside down. Right? So, so you have to turn it over in order to see. And so I thought, why would she turn it upside down? Oh, maybe she just doesn't want other people to feel bad about the fact that they didn't get such a high mark, right? So I turn the paper over, and I'm wondering if I got someone else's paper. Because the mark on that paper, let me tell you, was a shock to my system. It was not what I was expecting. And so for the whole class, the only thing that I could think of was going to talk to this teacher to find out if something, if she had a bad day or made a mistake, because there had to be a mistake, right? This was not my mark. After the class was over, I went to her and talked to her about it. And I said, you know, I think there's a mistake here because uh, there's just no way that I got this mark. And she said, no, that's, that's your paper. And, and I said, well, can you explain to me why I got this mark? Because I did this, 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 and, you know, whatnot. She said, well, you did a great job. Okay. <laughs> you did a great job. However, that's not what I asked you to do. She said what you did and and what the requirements were were different. If you look at, you know, the rubric and what I asked you to do, they were two different things. So what you did was good, but it wasn't the project. And I was shocked. I was shocked because I did the wrong thing. I worked so hard and I did the wrong thing and it was not good enough. It was not acceptable because this is not what she asked for. She said you didn't follow the instructions. So it wasn't good enough, and I didn't get the grade that I understood that I should have, but I thought that it was deserving of a high grade. I thought it was good. I thought it was going to be the best one. I thought people were going to want to follow my example, right? But it just wasn't good enough. Do you realize 
that the things that we may be feeling so good about, the things that we, be, we may be working so hard to do, the things that we may be so proud of ourselves for accomplishing and doing and offering and giving to God may not be good enough, may not be acceptable in his sight, may not be what he expected and wanted from us simply because it's defiled by the sins still going on in our lives. The things that we work so hard to do and to accomplish you see, Cain and Abel both offered sacrifices to God, but God only found Abel's to be acceptable in his sight. The things that we think we're doing so well, that we're patting ourselves on the back for, God may look at and say, that's not good enough because that's not what I asked you for. You didn't follow my instructions. You didn't listen to my commands. You didn't listen to my voice. And therefore, what I asked you to do, you didn't do. You did something else instead. Are we listening to God's voice? Are we following what his commands are? Are we following his instructions and what he expects us to do? Could the worship that we're offering God be defiled? Could the prayers that we're praying not be answered because they're defiled? Could the condition of our heart be unclean before God? Could our thoughts and our motives be impure? Could the fact that we're living together unmarried be what defiles us before God? Could the reason that we're doing something only be to be recognized for it and not for the right reasons? Could the sinful thoughts Jealousy and unforgiving attitude that we're harboring in our heart be the very things that defile us before God. You see, it's important for us to be careful. To be careful because what we're offering God may not be good enough because of the sin that surrounds it. It's important for us to pray and ask God, Lord, show me the things that need to be changed. Clean me up. Make me whiter than snow. Make me a new being. Transform me. Forgive me. You see, we cannot allow sin to continue to resonate because light and darkness have no fellowship. We need to get rid of the things that hinder our relationship to God the things that defile us and hold us back from going deeper with God or being acceptable in his sight. You know what I mean. When there are things going on in your life that are not right, it hinders us. It hinders the way you worship. It hinders the way you pray. It hinders the way you treat other people. It hinders your spiritual life. It hinders the things that you do. But when we are free... We can feel it because then we're free to worship. We're free to pray in the spirit. We're free to be the people that God created us to be. We feel free. Maybe today is the day you need to say, God, help me. Because if there are things in my life that are causing what I'm doing to be defiled, get rid of it. Get rid of it so that I would be acceptable in your sight so that we would not hear the things that he said to the Jewish people, that everything they do and everything that they're offering is defiled because of their sin. Lord, change us so that we truly can be the people 
that you desire us to be. So that we would live in such a way that is pleasing and holy. I have some floor cleaner here. And, uh, you know, most of you probably use something similar. And I also have some body mist, right? Now, if I was to put some of the body mist in the floor cleaner, what do you think would happen? It would smell good, right? Not very much. It, it would just smell good. It would just make the floor cleaner smell better, which do you think is a good thing? Yeah, so it would just enhance the, the scent. What about if I put the floor cleaner in the body mist? Well, what would happen? It would ruin it. I wouldn't be able to use it. It would no longer be good because it would ruin the body mist. But if I put the body mist in the floor cleaner, that would be a good thing. It, it would enhance the smell. You see, the things that are influencing us, it's important to be aware because it matters what goes into what. It matters. You see, if we are pouring in to other people and influencing them for Christ and helping them to understand the love of Jesus, helping them to realize that God loves them, then that's a good thing. But we have to be careful what we allow to be poured into us. Because those things, although maybe small and in small portions, can ruin, can destroy, can taint, can change for the worst. What goes in what is very important. And it can easily change it. You see, it, it's very easy to destroy and to taint something that is good. But it is impossible to make it clean. It is impossible to bring it back to a full state without Christ. It is only with Christ that we can be clean. It is only with Christ that we can take all of the stuff that has been poured into us, the stuff that influences us, the stuff that has gone into our minds and our hearts and taints us and changes us and makes us sinful, that we can take it out because of Christ and be changed and renewed. That is how we become a new creation. What goes in what? makes a difference. It makes a difference. Have you ever noticed when a child eats spaghetti? Bobita, have you ever noticed when a child eats spaghetti how messy it can become, right? I mean, the sauce starts out in the bowl or the plate, but then it can quickly get out of that bowl or plate, right? And it, it, you know, it can go on, on the, the hands and the face, and, and then it eventually gets to the clothes and, and everything around it, right? It can become very messy very quickly. And you need to change the kids' clothes, or you need to clean them up and wash them and, and get them to be clean. And the reason that you need to do that is because if you don't, then whatever they touch, go, the sauce goes on that, right? Whatever comes close to them and, and they touch, the sauce goes on that, and then that becomes dirty, and then you need to clean that eventually. So it's important to clean it up right away before the mess spreads and spreads and spreads. Everything they touch becomes dirty, and sauce gets on it. You see, it's the same thing with sin. 
It's the same thing with sin. If we don't clean it up and ask God to help us as soon as possible, then it just starts spreading. And it spreads in every area of our lives until it gets out of control. But with Christ, he stops it. He takes off the dirty garments and he puts on a clean one. He washes us so that we are clean. And he helps so that everything we touch then becomes clean as well. So that sin does not spread. Sin and selfish attitudes can produce the same result. It can cause us to stain everything we touch and become sinful. The only remedy is God's forgiveness and his cleansing. He is able to turn that back into something good. In verse 19, God gives his people a promise. He says, I'm giving you a promise now while the seed is still in the barn. You have not yet harvested your grain and your grapevines, fig trees, pomegranates, and olive trees have not yet produced their crops. But from this day onward, I will bless you. That's the promise that God gave to his people. In other words, what he was telling them is, I know you haven't seen it yet. Because, you know, the grain's still in the barn, things haven't grown, you haven't seen the evidence of my blessing yet. But I'm telling you, I'm promising you, I'm assuring you, I'm guaranteeing that from this day onward, I will bless you. It's the same thing. It's hard for us to believe in something that we don't see. It's hard for us to believe that something is going to happen when we don't see any evidence of it in sight. Yet that is what faith is. It's believing that even though we don't see evidence of it, God says it so we can believe it. God says that it's going to happen and so we can take him at his word and know that he promises that he will bless us from this day onward. He will bless us. You see, God wasn't happy with their lifestyle, with the way that they were living, with the condition of their heart. Yet, he called them out on it and still promised that he was going to bless them. God may not be happy with our lifestyle, with the condition of our heart, with the things that we're doing or how we're living. But he does say that he will help us. And if we're going to change and we call upon him to ask him to change he says I will bless you from this day forward we can live in the blessings of God we can experience God's blessing and let me tell you if you have not experienced the abundance and the blessing that God has then you are missing out you see our father has a storehouse of endless resources and he is so eager to bless us be reminded that God is eager to bless us he is eager to bless you and he's eager to bless me and that's the last point for today and we just need to call upon him we need to ask him and sometimes we simply don't have because we don't ask and he wants to bless us he wants to shower us with every good gift because every good gift comes from him and we need to just live an obedient surrendered life to him like the people of Israel, God says, and I speak this over you, from this day onward, I will bless you. 
May you experience the never-ending blessings of God that chases you down, that follows you wherever you go, that supplies all of your needs so that you will never lack any good thing. May you experience that and know that God, who is our perfect Father, loves us so much and he is eager to bless us. He is eager to bless you and he wants to give us even what we don't deserve. There are many things that we can learn from the book of Haggai. God is calling us to take care of his business first. And that means that we're not just to know the good we ought to do, but that we are to actually do it. Because knowing and doing what is right are two different things. May we strive to offer God the very best parts of our lives. May we offer him and give him what he deserves. May we ask him to help clean us up so that the things that we're offering God is not defiled by the sin in our life and they can be blameless and holy before him. We may not be blessed because what we're offering God could be defiled, but may we ask him to change that. May we always remember that the God that we serve has an endless supply of resources and blessings, and he is eager to bless us. He is eager to bless us. Missionaries went to India to spread the gospel. Some found themselves in very hostile and aggressive communities. However, one missionary succeeded in converting a man, his wife, and two children for Christ. This man's faith proved contagious, and many villagers, because of him, accepted Christianity. Angry, the village chief summoned all the villagers together, and he called forth the family who was first converted to renounce their faith in public or face execution. Moved by the Holy Spirit, the man who had been converted said, I have decided to follow Jesus. Enraged at the refusal of the man, the chief ordered his archers to shoot arrows at the two children. As both boys lay twitching on the floor, the chief asked him, now will you deny your faith? You have lost both your children. You will lose your wife too. But the man replied, though no one joins me, still I will follow. The chief was beside himself with fury and now rage, and he ordered that the man's wife be shot by arrows as well. In a moment, she joined her two children in death. Now he asked for the last time, I will give you one more opportunity to deny your faith, and I'll allow you to live. In the face of death, the man said the final memorable line, the cross before me, the world behind me, no turning back. He was shot dead like the rest of his family. The chief had ordered the killings of this family. He had ordered them, but eventually this man was moved by the faith of the man. The chief wondered why would this man who just lost his wife and his two children die for a man who lived in a faraway land over 2,000 years ago. There must be some remarkable power behind the family's faith. And he said, I too want to taste that faith. 
In a spontaneous confession of faith, the chief declared, I too belong to Jesus Christ. When the crowd heard this from the mouth of their chief, the whole village accepted Christ as their Lord and Savior. The song is based on the last words of a man from Gairo tribe in Assam. Today, it is still the song of the Gairo people. I have decided to follow Jesus. May that truly be the prayer of our heart, the desire that we feel that no matter what happens in this life, we have decided and there's no turning back because what's ahead is better than what's behind. Would you stand? Let us pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your truth and we thank you for all that you have done. And I truly pray, Father, that your blessing would rest upon each one, that you would help us to be the men, women, teenager, and children that you desire us to be. Lord, we pray that you would help us because we know that we cannot do it on our own, but that you would help us clean us up and make us holy and acceptable in your sight. And so, Father, may the words of our heart and the meditation of our mouth and the meditation of our heart be acceptable, Lord, in your sight. And truly, may it always be our prayer to say that we have decided to follow Jesus no matter the cost and there is no turning back. In your holy and precious name we pray. Amen.